I wanted to die, and that's it. I mean, I would, I would get angry when I woke up in the morning because I just kept, you know, saying I didn't want to be here. I had lost hope, and I didn't see no way. I see no way for me to pick myself back up and turn my life back around. I think, really, um, it hit me when I got into the shelter, actually, that um, I actually had a dream, um, and I felt like God was talking to me, you know, telling me that he wasn't done with me, you know, that I, that I still had a purpose. Because I kept saying, you know, I don't understand why I'm here. What is my, what is the purpose of me going through all this trauma and all this pain? And, um, but after that, um, after I had that dream and I kind of felt like that was God reaching out to me, saying, you know, don't give up. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to answer out loud based on what you think a reasonable person would say. So I want you to imagine this reasonable person, this average Joe, is sitting in the park or sitting at work, and Jesus himself comes up and asks this question. This reasonable person has a marriage problem, and Jesus says, how would you like me to help you with your marriage problem? Do you think the reasonable person should say yes or no? What do you say? I would think yes. Or what if Jesus went up to this reasonable average person who had a drug problem and says, I want to help you with your drug problem. Do you think the reasonable person should say yes or no? I would think yes. Or this reasonable person was sleeping around trying to find love at all these different guys or girls or whatever. And Jesus came up and said, you know what? I want to help you get love in a more safe environment and in a more safe way. Would the reasonable person say yes or no? Or this person had a gossip problem, a self-esteem problem, and all this drama in their life. They were addicted to drugs. And Jesus Christ came and said, listen, I want to help you with all that. I want to start a process in your life where you can actually have more peace in your life, more purpose. I want to help you be well and help you live more like me. Should the reasonable person say yes or no? In other words, Jesus, I want you to help me or I don't want you to help me. I think all of us would say yes. In this story we're going to read, it's very simple. There are a bunch of lame, paralyzed, blind, sick people laying around on this patio. And at the bottom of the steps of the patio, there's a patio and then a bunch of steps that go down to the water. And at the bottom of the steps is water. And when the water moves, the belief was there was an angel in the water. And the first person that was sick to get in the water would be healed. And so all these people are laying around, waiting for the water to move. And then when the water moves, they try to rush down to the water to be healed. And there's this one guy, he's been crippled 38 years. And Jesus walks through the crowd, through all the sick people. And he goes up to this one guy who's been crippled for 38 years. And Jesus asks him the question, do you want to be well? Seems like a simple question. Seems like a very no-brainer answer. And we're going to see what he says. Now, in this message, I want to challenge you. And two questions. There's two groups of you. There are some of you out there who need help. And God is going to ask you today, can I help you? Are you going to say yes or no? That's the question I want you to be thinking about because you know what your issues are. You may have one big question. You may have a bunch of issues in your life. It doesn't matter whether you have one or a hundred. Jesus wants to know, can he help you? It's either yes or no. And then there's another group of you out there that are in the place of Christ. In other words, you are someone who wants to help somebody else. 
And the question you have to consider is how far are you willing to go to help somebody? Because when you ask someone to help them, they may not give you a yes or no answer, but you got to decide how far you're going to go and how much are you going to stick it out. So let me read the story to you. It's in John chapter 5. It says, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there was in Jerusalem a sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring up of the water was made well of whatever disease they had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity or a sickness 38 years. Think about it, 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said, do you want to be well? The same question I've been asking you, do you want to be well? He's been laying there 38 years, and Jesus asked him a question, do you want to be well? And remember, this is you, 38 years, five years, one year, two months, whatever it is, your issue is, Jesus wants to know, do you want to be well? The sick man answered and said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but while I'm coming down, another steps before me. In other words, I can't get down into the water quick enough. Someone always beats me down because I'm, you know, I'm paralyzed, I'm crippled. I can't get down there quick enough. Jesus said, rise up and take your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and he walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who was, who was cured? It is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered, he who made me well said, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said, take up your bed and walk? And the one who was healed did not know it was Jesus, for he had withdrawn and a multitude was there. And Jesus just walked away and got disappeared into the crowd. Afterward, Jesus found the man in the temple and said, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Then the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. I return to my first two questions. One, if you have an issue, the question is, are you willing to have Jesus heal you, help you, restore you. And if you want to help somebody, how far are you willing to go to help somebody? I got out of prison um, in 1997. Uh, my kids were in foster care. I, at that time, I, you know, had made a commitment me and God, that I wanted something different because I had been abused as a child. I've been on my own since I was 12. Um, I was emancipated at 14, and I had my first daughter. When I got pregnant when I was 14. Um, so me and God had that commitment when I got out of prison that I wanted something different. Got really involved in church at that time. I, got, I was able to get my kids back. God was so powerful in my life. I stayed connected with the church and I um, stayed in recovery. I was clean. I was clean and sober 16 years. I met my husband at that time. Um, we were married. We had a daughter together. Um, and we just, we were doing well. So I thought, um, became a recovery specialist because I wanted to help people. I wanted to help people like me. And so I did that. I did it for 11 years. But I think that for 11 years, all the transference of hearing their problems and on top of all my own, kind of, um, it was overwhelming. My husband, um, he relapsed um, a year before I did. 
and so I struggled with that. Um, I would come home from work and, you know, he wouldn't be there and all of a sudden just disappeared and would be gone for three or four days and I was trying to still raise my kids. They were all, my older ones were in high school at the time. My daughter, my youngest daughter was in middle school. And so things started to fall apart. Um, and I kept pleading with him to get help and that I couldn't, I wasn't strong enough. So by the next year, which was 2012, I finally relapsed. And I had a job at that time where I was making $47,000 a year. I had a good job, a good career. Um, and I ended up getting fired. I lost my job. I lost my license. Um, I lost everything. So everything that I had worked hard for um, was gone. When I was a kid growing up in New York, I had exercise-induced asthma. So whenever I would work out or run outside or play, my chest would get tight and I would <sighs> So all my life growing up, whenever I was playing outside or even sometimes just sitting in the house or, or running to get in shape, I had to, I couldn't breathe. And I would actually run and push myself up by pushing on my thigh when I was running through the streets or running through the park. My chest would get tight <sighs> all my life growing up. And then when I got into my 20s, I discovered an inhaler. Someone gave me an inhaler and said, you just need to puff this a couple times and your asthma will go away. I didn't believe it would work. And I puffed it, and next thing you know, I'm running out in the cold weather and I could breathe. And I suffered so long unnecessarily. All I needed was an inhaler. In this story, we're going to read again. We're going to go to verse 3, and it says very specifically that this man who was crippled was crippled 38 years. The Bible is very specific when it uses numbers or all its information. It's very factual. And it puts the information in the Bible for a very specific reason. And we, the Bible wants us to know that this guy was sick 38 years, almost four decades. Let's read it. Chapter 5 of John, verse 3. It says, In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring up of the water was made well of whatever disease. There was a certain man who had been there sick 38 years. I want you to think about this. 38 years. So I asked you a question in the very beginning of the message. If God asked you, could he help you with your issue, would you say yes or no? I want you to think about how long you've been suffering. How long you've been in dead-end jobs. Jobs you don't like and you've just resigned the fact that you're never going to have a good job. You're never going to have a good career. How many guys or girls, bad relationships have you had? How long have you been beating yourself up in your mind, in your head, thinking that you're a failure? How long have you been addicted to drugs? I used to smoke marijuana for eight years. Eight years, two years cocaine. And the question I want to ask you is, is it long enough? When is long enough? I want to read a story to you in Luke chapter 13. Something very interesting Jesus said. There was a woman who had an infirmity, and the Bible, Jesus said that the devil had her curled up for 18 years. It says, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could no way raise her up. So she was crippled over like this, crunched over like this. And when Jesus saw her, he called to her and said, woman, be loosed of your infirmity, be set free. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus healed her on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, 
there are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them, not on the Sabbath. In other words, a religious guy says, Jesus, you can't heal on the Sabbath day. This is the day God takes off. <laughs> and the Lord answered and said, hypocrite, do not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox and donkey from the stall and lead it away into the water. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, 18 years, be loose from this bond. And this is the point I want to focus on. He says, think of it. This woman has been bound up for 18 years. I want you to think about your life. How long have you been bound up? Maybe not by the devil, but how long have you been addicted? How long have you been in dead-end jobs? How long have you been discouraged? How long have you thought of yourself as a failure? Isn't it time to let God have an opportunity in your life to change that? I, at that time, was so addicted. I was so addicted to drugs. I didn't care about nothing else. I mean, I went full force back into my addiction. I was um, taking pills. I was doing meth. Um, I, at, by the end, I was smoking 30 pills a day. Um, I was, you know, smoking off cotton. I was just bad my whole life. And just, I don't know, everything just crumbled on me. Ended up in the psych ward. Um, I was walking the streets. I, you know, my husband was the only one that I was getting drugs from at that time because everybody else in my life had cut me off. Like they just, you know, uh, we can't have you around. You're crazy, you know. So I was getting my drugs from him and I ended up in the psych ward. I was wandering around El Cajon one night and um, I was so angry and just, I mean, I don't know. I was seeing things, hearing things. Um, I had a complete psychotic break and when I ended up in the psych, the psych ward, I found out that um, what I thought was meth, I thought I was doing meth. Well, I wasn't. I was actually doing bath salts. And uh, it devastated me. And I think that that's where my marriage kind of ended because I felt betrayed. And so um, I knew at that point that I was going to die if I didn't get help. So my mom actually had came. My mom lives in Arizona, and she came here and drove all the way down here to pick me up one night. It was the middle of the night and she took me. And I mean, I would have died if it wasn't for her. Here in the county of San Diego, there was more than one suicide per day. There's over 365 suicides a year here in San Diego. And the reason people commit suicide is because they lose hope. In other words, they're in this dark tunnel and there is no light at the end of the tunnel, so they believe. And they believe that being dead would be better than continuing to suffer. The sad thing about suicide, it's such a permanent response to temporary problems. In this story, this guy is crippled 38 years. And Jesus goes up to him and asks him, do you want to be well? And I want to read to you what he says in John chapter 5, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, 38 years, he said, do you want to be well? And you would think the guy would say, of course, you know, yes. But he says, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I'm coming down, another steps down before me. In other words, he is so focused on the excuse or the reason why he can't get help. And there are so many people who, instead of looking at hope and having hope that something can improve in their life, 
They have been disappointed for so long and so often that they've been convinced they can never get into the water. There's too many obstacles between them and help. When Jesus asks you, do you want to be well? He's not asking you, do you have the resources? He's just asking you, do you want it? It's not up to you to decide how God's going to help you. He has resources you have no idea of. He has power that you can't fathom. All he wants to know is are you willing to take him by the hand and let him lead you out of your funk, out of your despair? You know, suicide has taken your life, but a, a very mild form of suicide is giving up on the life that you have. And one way of giving up on the life that you have is to reject the hand that's trying to help you. So I want to challenge you. Are you going to give up on the life that you have? Or are you going to say, God, I don't understand how you're going to help me, but I want the help. All he wants to know is, do you want it or not? My daughter wanted nothing to do with me. She wouldn't speak to me. My 14-year-old, she, um, she hated me. And um, so for nine months, I just tried to focus on myself, try to figure out where I went wrong in my life, and um, just did what I had to do to stay clean and try to prove to her that, you know, I was going to change my life. And uh, so after nine months of being out there, I decided it was time for me to come back here and just face reality because I have her and she was starting high school and I didn't want to be too you know far away so my mom brought me back here I had nowhere to go I was sleeping behind um, La Mesa library and uh, it was devastating um, I had not slept on the street and been homeless since I was 12 and just laying behind the library being cold um, not knowing where, what I was going to do, where I was going to go, um, was terrifying for me. And after about four nights of sleeping behind the library, uh, actually some lady walked up to me in the morning and told me that the winter shelter was still open downtown. And so I came down here, but being homeless out there, all you can do is just walk around, you know, it's kind of like, what do you do? You know, you have nowhere to shower, nowhere to eat. I mean, you'll wonder, you know, from day to day, what are you gonna eat? Where are you gonna go? Where are you gonna sleep? So for me, it's just, it's terrifying. And downtown, coming down here, um, for me is getting into the tent that morning that I showed up here. I showed up at like 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning and I was broken. I was cold, hungry, I you know, hadn't had a shower probably, I can't even tell you, and security was at the gate, and they said, well, let me see if we have an opening, you know, because usually they do a lottery system, so that's why there's so many people that are still out here on the street, people that just lay around hoping day in and day out, of, you know, that their number's going to get called. Well, I was blessed that day. I didn't have to go through the lottery. I showed up that morning, and they had one top bunk open. When I first started in youth ministry, I would go to juvenile hall, a juvenile detention center, juvenile jail, and talk to gang members and, and guys and girls. And these kids have been rejected so long all their life by their parents, by their friends. They have adopted the identity as a victim. And they've come to believe that nobody's ever going to be for them. So when you try to help them, they literally push you away. And they try to test you to see if you're really committed to helping them. And it's a defense mechanism to protect their heart, but it's also 
uh, can be very discouraging for people trying to help because they seem to be sabotaging their, their own life. And I learned that over time going in talking to them and I had to learn that no matter what they say, no matter what they do, I'm not going to give up. This guy is laying here 38 years in John chapter 5 and Jesus said, do you want to be well? And the guy says, I don't have anybody to get me in the pool. And Jesus doesn't walk away. He heals him anyway. He says in verse 8, rise up, take your bed and walk. When the guy said, I have no way to get into the water, when the guy started throwing his excuses to the Lord, the Lord did not give up. The Lord's never going to give up on you. He is always going to be right there for you. But I want to talk to you people who want to help somebody else. When you see somebody in need, I want to discourage you from thinking about how you're going to help them. But I want to encourage you just to listen to God. Do you want me to help? And let God, by faith, lead you into a relationship that may take you to your limit. Because God has resources for you to help them that you don't know anything about. That you don't look at how you're going to figure it out. And that you come up with your excuses why you can't help. But that you do what Jesus did. You ignore the excuses and you say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to help them through me. And I'm never going to give up. And that's my encouragement to all of you out there who want to help somebody. Because we're all surrounded by people who desperately need a helping hand. And a lot of times we don't have the resources. But it doesn't mean God can't use us anyway. That next morning is when I got up and knew that I had to figure out something because when I seen all the people that were in that tent, I, you know, I didn't want to just sit there. So that's when I started getting out and went to the library, started looking for resources, things that I could do, you know, to, to you know, start doing something different. So I ended up going to treatment. I went to a treatment center and um, I did that for three months. And then I um, also got into another program called Second Chance. And I graduated, since then graduated that program, I got into the winter shelter. And I had since Arizona to here, I kind of, you know, I was trying to figure out what church, you know, I needed to go to church and I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to start, you know, looking. When, did I, when I ended up in the shelter downtown, I happened to be walking to the store one day and I seen one of your guys' flyers laying on the ground. And so I picked it up. And I read it, and I think it was like a Friday, so I'm like, okay, Sunday, you know, 5 o'clock. And, of course, I didn't know where this was because I had never ventured out up here, but I just started walking up the street, and I actually heard the music playing. So I think I was probably like 10 minutes late that first day, but um, I've been coming here ever since. Ever since that day, um, I can't even tell you, like, this place, it saved me, you know, because I was able to reconnect with God again, and... Since I've been coming here, um, I've been able to bring two of my kids to the church with me, and they're actually in the shelter with me now, and I've you know, been able to reconnect with them. I've reconnected with my other son and my grandbaby. I've reconnected with my daughter. She's speaking to me again, and I've gotten two jobs. Now we've been blessed with an apartment. God is good, you know, we're gonna walk into this apartment, it's empty, but we know everything's gonna be okay. We're finally gonna have keys to a door, no more badges at the gate, no more curfews, no, you know, being separated. I know that, um, I know having this microsite here has helped a lot of people, not just me. This place has really opened my eyes to knowing that it's not from, I can't do it my way no more. I have to do it God's way. And since I've been coming here, I started my own challenge where I started reading the Bible again. And um, 
that's been a big, huge part in keeping me clean and sober, keeping me focused on what I need to do because my whole life I always try to do everything my way, not really knowing what to do. God has just showed me that it doesn't matter what I've done, you know, where I came from, no matter, you know, what I've gone through, that, you know, I can, I am, I am somebody. And that's, you know, really important for me today. You don't have to look far to see the handiwork of God in someone's life. How God can take someone whose life is messed up, someone whose life the devil was having a field day with, to make it something absolutely marvelous. And so I go back to my very first question I started with at the beginning of this message. Do you want help? Do you want God to help your marriage, help your thinking, your perspective, your self-esteem? Do you want God to deliver you from your drug addiction? Do you want God to fill your heart with peace, a peace that the world cannot give, that money can't give, that success can't give? Do you want to have God where you walk with God, hearing his voice, seeing his purpose for your life or not? Or do you want to just keep doing things your way and having your life be subpar to what God wants for your life? If your answer is yes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to God and to do what the guy did in the story, the paralytic who got up and he walked. I want to challenge you to surrender your life to Christ, not knowing exactly how he's going to fix your life, but that he will fix it. Not knowing exactly how he's going to transform your mind, but he will transform it. But I'm going to challenge you to say, yes, Lord, by faith, I trust you. By faith, I'm going to follow you. And that's all I need to know because I trust you, God. So I'm going to ask you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes, wherever you are, wherever you're watching this, wherever you're listening, close your eyes, bow your head. And I want you to listen very carefully. The Bible says that God loves you. He loves you so much he died for you. The Bible says he rose from the dead. He proved his love for you and he proved his power over life and death. And if you would like to ask Christ to not only forgive you of your sin, but to take over your life. There are some of you who have given your life to Christ, but he hasn't taken over because you haven't surrendered everything. And you're saying, yes, Lord, I want to get up and I want to follow you with my whole heart. For whatever reason you want to follow him, for whatever reason you're making this decision, I want you to pray this prayer with me in the privacy of your heart by faith, knowing that God loves you and knows exactly what you've been going through and knows exactly how long you've been going through it. In the privacy of your heart, say, Dear God, I believe Jesus is the Lord. I believe he died and rose for me. I believe he is almighty God. I believe he loves me. Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I surrender my life to you. By faith, I want to follow you. By faith, I surrender my mind, my heart for you to transform. Thank you, God. Thank you. If you prayed that prayer, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand up. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, you prayed that prayer when I ask you to stand up what you are doing is making a public confession that you are surrendering your life to Christ that you are doing what the paralytic did you are going to get up and walk so eyes closed heads bowed wherever you are if you pray that prayer and you're saying yes Lord I want to follow you I'm going to ask you right now to stand to your feet by faith 
stand to your feet. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. As we're in a spirit of prayer right now, everyone's heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. If that's your prayer, go ahead and stand to your feet right now. People are standing all over the room right now. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. In a minute, I'm going to invite you to come down as we cheer you on. I know that it takes faith to trust Jesus and it takes courage to act like the paralytic and step out from where you're standing and into this new season that God has for you. So we want to we want to encourage you in that. So right now, if you're standing there, grab your stuff, Rock Church, will you help me get them down here in Jesus' name? Amen. Come on forward. Come down if you made that decision this morning. Amen, 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 amen. Come on, Rock Church, help me out a little bit. Very good. How are you? God bless you. How are you?